Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Friday, March 1st. The war in the Middle East is now in its 147th day. I'm Rich Goldberg, Senior Advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, filling in once again for John Shanzer this morning. Welcome back to the FDD Morning Brief. Joining me in just a few minutes, so stay tuned, my guest today is Sarit Zahavi, a Lieutenant Colonel in the IDF Reserves. Sarit has founded the nonprofit Alma Research and Education Center, which specializes in Israel's security challenges on its northern border. And as Israel's war with Hezbollah expands every day, I'm looking forward to this conversation. But first, let me share some thoughts on the media rush yesterday to condemn Israel that has a lot of people talking, and with good reason. Many of us woke up yesterday to reports that Israel had massacred more than 100 Palestinians while they were lining up for food in Gaza City. The story spread like wildfire. The problem, it wasn't true. It was entirely sourced to Hamas and its supporters, supposed eyewitnesses. The story launched without waiting for the Israeli side to weigh in. The IDF then released aerial footage of the scene showing a completely different version of events, a mob scene with Palestinians rushing aid trucks, trucks running over the stampede. As for reports of gunfire, the IDF said it was being attacked nearby, fired warning shots, then fired at attackers to disperse them. There was no massacre. And yet, when I checked all the stories this morning before this flat this morning brief to see how the mainstream media had updated its coverage, there weren't real updates. There wasn't retracting of misreporting. It's now couching that there was a legitimate dispute between what Hamas supporters say and what the IDF has now disproven. There's no legitimate dispute. That's not journalism. There are facts. This is all too reminiscent, of course, of the Al-Ahi hospital story back in October. Then you'll remember Israel was accused of bombing a hospital when in fact a Hamas rocket had hit its parking lot. Why didn't editors put new policies in place back then to prevent this from happening again? That's a question for editors and for reporters. My last comment before I get off the soapbox here, Israel has operational control of Gaza City. Hamas has supposedly fallen in this northern area, and yet its disinformation network appears very strong. The Gaza Health Ministry appears unchanged. That's a big problem, and it needs to be addressed ASAP. Now for your headlines. Uh, a junior officer in the Palestinian security forces yesterday killed two Israelis at a gas station. Here's what we know. The terrorists opened fire with an M16 at a man refueling his car. The motorist in his late 50s was killed along with a young man in the vehicle. An Israeli reservist eating lunch nearby shot and killed the terrorist. Turns out the man had been imprisoned in Israel for security offenses and was released back in 2019. What does this mean? Well. This person was a member of the Palestinian security forces. And this is not the first time we've seen an incident where members of the Palestinian security forces are involved in terrorism. It's actually becoming quite common. In fact, my FDD colleague, Joe Trusman, estimates that between 40 and 50 members of the PA security forces have been killed in fighting with the IDF in counterterrorism operations since 2021. The U.S. has a three-star general on the ground supposedly to advise and train those forces. What's he doing? 
He's sending reports to Capitol Hill reportedly about a supposed rise in settler violence. He's apparently not spending his time rooting out terrorism inside the forts. He's responsible for advising. And this is the institution that Washington wants to put in charge of Gaza too. We need an immediate audit of the PA security forces and a plan to get rid of the terror cells in its midst. Headline two, Iran and Hamas aim to turn Ramadan into the second phase of October 7th. Here's what we know. Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant, says the plot may include some sort of combustible event at the Al-Aqsa Mosque aimed at sparking wider violence. When asked for comment this week, the State Department didn't want to weigh in on what uh, Defense Minister Gallant had said. The possibility of Iran and Hamas sparking some phase two of October 7th? No. Instead, the State Department spokesperson pivoted on the question and just warned Israel about making sure it allows freedom of access to Al-Aqsa during the month of Ramadan. Here's my view. The Biden administration needs to recognize what Israel is doing here. It's actually taking a page out of the Biden playbook by declassifying intelligence and issuing a preemptive warning to the world about what Iran and Hamas are planning. The response to that shouldn't be pivoting to warnings or lectures of Israel. The response needs to be forceful condemnation of both Iran and Hamas and a clear statement that we will hold those who instigate violence at Al-Aqsa accountable. Blaming Israel in advance only guarantees the violence is going to come because Iran is betting on world condemnation of Israel, not Iran. We need to turn the table now while there's still time. And headline three, Israel's Iron Dome air defense system intercepted rockets near Israel's northern city of Haifa. The Iran-backed terrorist group Hezbollah, which we'll be talking about in just a couple minutes, has escalated attacks over the last week, firing missiles at an IDF base on Mount Maron, targeting an Israeli drone with a surface-to-air missile, attacking Israeli communities throughout northern Israel. In this particular case, no damage or injuries were reported in Haifa, but Hezbollah is reminding us that its capabilities reach far deeper into Israel than just some evacuated towns around the Lebanese border. My view, some people in Washington, and yes, some people in Israel, are still holding on to a delusion that Hezbollah can be deterred, that Hezbollah may be deterred already, that moving Hezbollah's special forces 10 kilometers north would somehow stop the massive threat that Hezbollah poses to Israel's security. And importantly, its deterring effect on Israel from taking action against Iran over its nuclear program. Hezbollah is showing us every day why that is truly a delusion. And that is a perfect transition to our featured guest this morning. It's my pleasure to introduce uh, IDF Lieutenant Colonel Reservist Sarit Zahavi, who is the CEO and founder of the Alma Research and Education Center. Colonel Zahavi and her institute are based in northern Israel, focused more than anyone else I've found in Israel on the threat posed by Hezbollah. I was just with her in northern Israel on a recent visit, and it's my pleasure to welcome her to the virtual stage today. Welcome, Sarit Zahavi, Colonel Zahavi. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Let's get right into it. This is a big issue. You're focused on it. For those who are not tracking Hezbollah, Lebanon, the Northern Front, as closely as they have been watching the daily coverage of Hamas and Gaza, give us a brief overview 
of the threat we're talking about, capabilities, size, scope, comparisons to other threats that we may be more familiar with? Hezbollah has 10 times more uh, firepower than uh, Hamas, meaning that it's around 200,000 different kind of weapons and missiles to various ranges that can cover almost all of Israel. The majority of these, around 140,000, are to very short ranges, up to around 15 kilometers, uh, meaning that they were meant either to deal with uh, an invasion, but also being launched since this war started many times. Uh, 65,000 rockets to ranges of a few tens of kilometers were already launched due, during this conflict uh, many times. Uh, there are uh, inside this arsenal a few, probably a few hundreds of accurate missiles, PGMs, meaning the same type of missiles that I've mentioned, but went through kind of a process that made them accurate. And it's a question whether these were used since this war started. Uh, in this arsenal, there are uh, between a few tens to a few hundred of Vulcan missiles, which are very heavy missiles to short range, uh, which is uh, challenging to intercept. Uh, because of the high weight of these missiles, they create a lot of damage. We're already used in the current conflict. Around 2,000 drones in the hands of Hezbollah. I mean UAVs, they are more very small drones, like what we call the toy drones, but also UAVs, which are bigger. Both of them were already used by Hezbollah in this current conflict. And outside of the 200,000 missiles that I've just described, there are a, an unknown amount of anti-tank missiles that are very accurate weapon, a weapon that cannot be intercepted by Iron Dome since it's direct shooting. And these were used against Israel since this war started many times. Uh, and it became from a tactical weapon to a strategic weapon since these are being used not uh, only against tanks, but also against buildings, uh, positions, civilians, and military, uh, causing the death of uh, five civilians. And uh, all, all together from all this arsenal, five civil Israeli civilians and 12 soldiers until now. This is with the artillery and missiles uh, threat. By the way, all of this is positioned in Lebanon in civilian areas using the Lebanese as human shields. Along with that, the same as you saw, what they call the Nukba or Hamas, there are commando units of Hezbollah. The difference is that the commando units of Hezbollah are not only well-trained, they are also very much experienced because they were fighting in Syria in the past decade and they assisted the Syrian army to fight against the rebels and they won. And these uh, commando units have the exact specific plan like Hamas to invade into the state of Israel and to take off uh, communities and to also trap hostages to become human shields. And it was all published uh, more than a decade ago by Hezbollah itself. One more sentence. Many people ask me, especially in the past few weeks, about tunnels. Everything that you saw in Gaza exists in the hands of Hezbollah in Lebanon, also with regard to hundreds of kilometers of tunnels. But tunnels are the mean to launch these rockets, to defend them, to, to transfer them from one place to another, to transfer uh, Radwan brigades, uh, commando uh, operatives from one place to another. It's not a threat by itself. And of course, it's a problem if there will be an Israeli decision uh, to attack Hezbollah inside Lebanon. Great summary, Sarit. And of course, all of this, not just happening in a silo like Hamas, like Islamic Jihad, 
like the Houthis in Yemen. This is an Iranian proxy. It's one of the largest Iranian proxies. Uh, it is one of the guardians uh, of, of the Islamic Revolution. Uh, and of course, uh, Hassan Nasrallah's leader being a senior advisor to the Supreme Leader and playing just a major role in everything that we're seeing today, not just on the northern border, but throughout the region. Uh, Sarit, Israel has been responding daily with strikes on Hezbollah targets in response to a lot of the attacks you just talked about. How do you assess the impact and the effectiveness of these counter strikes? Because we do hear Israeli leaders speaking about them like they're sending a message, they're having some sort of potentially deterring effect. What damage is being done right now through these Israeli counter strikes? First, I must say that I'm very happy for this question because the word damage means elimination of capabilities and the discussion should not be around messages or deterrence or anything like that because you see and we all see that even when there were negotiations for a diplomatic arrangement the leader of Hezbollah Nasrallah uh, just uh, uh, overruled them and said I'm not going to negotiate anything until there is a ceasefire in Gaza so it's very important to examine the IDF activity with regard to elimination of capabilities yesterday the spokesperson uh, of the IDF uh, said uh, stated that since the war started mm -hmm. IDF attacked 4,000 targets in Lebanon. This is a huge number, truly a huge number, and it includes uh, weapon caches, headquarters, uh, launching positions, uh, 200, more than 220 Hezbollah military operatives were killed since this war started, and uh, also uh, capabilities, uh, uh, positions of Radwan brigades and what he called strategic capabilities. There were also a few, quite a few, targeted killing of commanders, mainly of Radwan brigades uh, in Lebanon. And this is uh, definitely threatening, uh, uh, strengthening the feeling of, um, of the fact that Israel has very good intelligence, that any commander uh, is hunted uh, by Israel. This is, this is a very important message. Yet, I want to put things in proportion and say that there are strategic capabilities of Hezbollah uh, in, in depth into Lebanon, which were not attacked. Most of IDF attacks, uh, strikes in Lebanon were held in South Lebanon, uh, in the areas which are close to the border, and very, very few closed, uh, crossed this area and went further up. It means that there is uh, very little damage to the strategic capabilities of Hezbollah. There may be a damage to Arduan brigades. It's difficult to assess how much. Uh, and yet, I must say that, uh, again, out of 50,000 Hezbollah military operatives in general, and uh, in, in this number included the few thousands of Adwan, 200 military operatives dead, you can understand that uh, this number is definitely not enough to create a true damage. And we believe that if there will be a ceasefire, Hezbollah very quickly will be capable of overcoming uh, all these damages and uh, uh, actually getting back very quickly to the original uh, capabilities. There is a long way to go. What IDF had done until now is important, but there is still a long way to go with regard of truly changing the picture. Um, and uh, there is a lot of a lot of work to do in this. And of course, even though 4,000 targets were attacked, we still see daily firing by Hezbollah uh, against the upper Gali. We do see a change moving from the anti-tanks, which most of them uh, demand a view to the target. 
uh, towards rockets, which are less accurate, but they are launching barrages of a few tens again and again and again uh, towards the Galilee over here. And just in the two minutes we have left, you've touched on this a bit. There's obviously a lot of reporting about Amos Hochstein, the president's senior advisor, and his negotiations, the French involvement, potential proposals to move Hezbollah, at least the Radwan forces, 10 kilometers off the border, some other potential concessions involved on both sides. Is that going to be enough for your assessment to change of the threat, both to the north and to the rest of Israel, enough for communities to return to areas that have been evacuated? And if the answer is no, what is the path forward to actually secure Israel in the north, in your view? One minute left. Any talkings of withdrawal are a fiction. The, the withdrawal means nothing with regard of elimination of capabilities of Hezbollah. We should talk of a diplomatic agreement that will include disarmament, will include a deadline to this disarmament, will include an effective uh, enforcement, and no condition into anything that Israel would do. I cannot imagine a situation that Hezbollah will agree to this, and yet I'm not sure that uh, Israel or United States uh, will be willing to enable us to go to a full-scale war. So what I see is that the IDF is trying to maneuver between all of that and getting uh, military achievements as, as much as possible until there will be a ceasefire. Sarid so Zahavi, you can read uh, much more of her research online with the Alma Center. You can follow her on social media. We'll be promoting her uh, throughout the morning as well. Uh, and so we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Here's what else FDD is watching. FDD's Chief Executive Mark Dubowitz and your friendly, typical FDD Morning Brief host, John Shanzer, recently published an article discussing the volatile dynamics of Ramadan in the Holy Land, especially during times of tension. They posit that Israeli self-restraint is a good, even necessary thing, and how American leadership can help curb escalation during the upcoming Muslim Holy Month. Check out that piece in the Liberal Patriot. FDD's Center on Economic and Financial Power published a piece in Newsweek on the importance of transparency in managing U.S.-China relations. FDD's Elaine Dzenski and Josh Berenbaum argue that Washington should pursue trade agreements and revise existing agreements that emphasize stringent transparency on the origin of goods. They also highlight the need for U.S. companies to have greater visibility into their supply lines from the mines to the markets. And finally, my colleague David Daoud published some insight into how Hezbollah hopes to mobilize the West anger against Israel in a new piece in Haaretz. If you liked what he had to say when he was here on the FDD Morning Brief earlier this month, uh, last month at this point, I think you'll want to give it a read. Okay, that's it for today. Read our expert analysis on our website, fdd.org. Quick takes on X at FDD and support our work with a tax-deductible donation at fdd.org slash invest. Have a great weekend. Tune in Monday for another installment of the FDD Morning Brief. John Shanzer will be back at the wheel. He'll be joined by Habib Retik Gur, whose incredible analysis for the Times of Israel has kept us all informed, especially since October 7th, if you listen to Dan Senor's Call Me Back podcast, you probably go to bed listening to Haviv more nights than you want to admit. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you for another FDD Morning Brief the next time John needs a breather. Until then, I'm Rich Goldberg signing off for FDD.